Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Ujima Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Tika Taylor. Today's topic is, what is postpartum depression? Yes, we're going to discuss the causes of postpartum depression. Now, most people may not know what postpartum depression is, and that's the reason why we're doing this podcast today. We want to bring awareness of the subject so the millions of women who are out there suffering from postpartum depression can be educated and understand what's going on with them and seek some help. Now, we're not going to blame anybody for postpartum depression because that can happen to anybody, any woman can experience postpartum depression. It doesn't matter your background, where you're from, your location, your geographical location, your race, your ethnicity, your culture, your religious belief, your educational background, your economic status, it doesn't matter. Any woman from anywhere in the world can experience postpartum depression. Now, what is postpartum depression? Basically, it is a type of depression that happens to women during pregnancy or after the birth of their child during the postpartum period. Now, we do have some fathers who also experience postpartum depression during the pregnancy and after the birth of their child. Let's go ahead on and get into this information because we have a lot of information to give about this topic. In modern Western societies or other patriarchal communities, women's health, finances, education, and career are controlled by males. So when it comes to reproductive health, maternal health care, and postpartum care, men are still making the important decisions that will impact women and children's lives. Unfortunately, a lot of women are not receiving the proper medical care and there's a high level of maternal mortality in the 21st century. Many women still don't have access to affordable maternal care before, during, and after their pregnancies. The journey from conception to childbirth can be very challenging and difficult for most women. They need the supportive services to help them navigate through possible health complications, nutritional needs, mental health problems, financial burdens, or relationship problems. All of these problems can definitely contribute directly or indirectly to a woman's sickness or death during or after pregnancy. It's reported that mothers are at higher risk for maternal deaths during the postpartum period. Many women are not provided good postpartum postpartum care. Usually the focus is on providing their child good postnatal care, while some mothers neglect their own health. Now this is not to blame mothers. This is not a conscious choice that they're making. Most mothers don't have the help or support to get help for themselves. They may not have the money, the resources, or the transportation. The baby's health are usually prioritized at the mother's expense. Now, this is what happens when we have a system that is operated by males for females. Women basic needs, whether it be health care, whether it be nutrition, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, whether it be economic or psychological, their needs get to be neglected or they're suffering in their pain 
are basically minimized. The men cannot make good decisions for women. Now, they can make good decisions sometime, but they absolutely need the input of the women because women are the ones who are going through their own personal situations. Most men have no idea what women go through. So if there are policies that need to be made that's affecting women, whether it be healthcare policies, whether it be medical, whether it be psychological, any type of decision that's being made for women, women need to be involved in the process because they know what women's needs are because they're women themselves, right? So we just spoke about the male-operated systems and how women are suffering under these systems, how women are being neglected, how women are even dying because they're not receiving the necessary support and assistance. Now let's look at a different type of system from a different perspective, right? Now there's a different perspective when women are in charge of providing health care for other women. In many indigenous cultures, women, health care, reproductive services, maternal care and postpartum care were provided exclusively by female practitioners. They are called healers, midwives, dolas, or priestess. Women were valued, honored, respected, and celebrated in these cultures. They had full control over their domestic and public lives without any interference from the men. Women's health was prioritized by the community and their wellness was a collective effort. Pregnancy and childbirth were spiritual events. Rituals, ceremonies, and rite of passages were conducted to acknowledge these sacred moments. The pregnant woman was connected to her family and community. They were all part of the culture united by traditions, customs, and spirituality. Now they understood and acknowledged the woman was literally putting her life on the line to bring a new life into the world. This was serious. Now, this was a courageous act, the ultimate sacrifice. Now, whenever women would go into the birth process, they knew there was a possibility that they could face death. So all the care was provided to reduce the risk of death. After the birth of the baby, the dola or the midwife provided the necessary services, support and assistance needed for the full recovery of the mother. So now let's discuss some of the following things that were done to help the mother during the postpartum period. But before we discuss the postpartum period, let's just go ahead on and visit the birth. Because in indigenous cultures, the birthing process was totally different than it was or it is in Western cultures. Now in indigenous culture, the women had special preparations that they did prior to their birth, prior to delivering the baby right? They had special prayers, baths, rituals, ceremonies, meditations, different things that they did for them to prepare themselves to enter that birthing process at a good place, 
They wanted to be at their best mentally, emotionally, and physically because they knew that having a child, giving birth to a child was very, very complicated and it was very difficult. It was physically difficult, emotionally difficult, and mentally difficult. They understand that. And that's the reason why they wanted to prepare. So several days to weeks before the birth of their child, they would go on a journey. Okay, they would really do some work to prepare the mind, body, and soul to go through the birthing process. That was very important because that helped the women relax. It helped them to gain control of their minds. If there was any fears, any anxieties, any nervousness, they would be able to kind of calm themselves down. They would prepare themselves because they knew that it was a matter of life or death. Because obviously a lot of women have died during the birth process. Right. Another thing that happened in indigenous cultures, women didn't go to the hospital to have babies. They were able to go to a birthing place. Okay, and that birthing place could have been in their own homes or it could have been in one of their family's members' home or it could be in the midwife area where she delivered babies. But the family was allowed to be there. The husband sometimes was there, mothers mother-in-laws, sisters, aunts, sometimes even the children were allowed to be there. So this woman was surrounded by loved ones at the time when she was getting ready to give birth. Also, the birthing space was prepared. There were rituals that were done in the birthing place to make it more conducive for the woman to be relaxed and prepared to give birth. Another thing that really helped the woman calm down and relax is because she was made to be very comfortable. She was surrounded by loved ones and she trusted the person that was working with her was the dola or the midwife to help her through that difficult process. Now, the dola or the midwife could have been someone that she grew up with, someone that was part of the family or part of the community. It wasn't a stranger. This woman has always been around and maybe she's delivered hundreds of children, you know, in the tribe, hundreds of children in that area. So the woman had confidence that everything was going to be done to help her have a safe delivery and a speedy recovery. She knew that. So that gave her the confidence to go ahead on and just focus on doing her part. All right. She was confident that everything was going to be done to help her through this process. So if a woman goes into that situation with that type of confidence, with that type of faith, and she's surrounded by love, and she's given everything that that they can possibly do, then of course, the outcome of that situation is most likely going to be something good. And even if there's some type of difficulty or complication, they're prepared to deal with it. They're prepared to deal with it because they do have the knowledge, they have the resources, and they have the support. Now, a lot of people, you know, assume that these indigenous cultures were very primitive and, you know, they didn't have the means to deal with complications. Now, that obviously is a lie because those indigenous cultures did perform C-sections. 
they did have some type of remedies, herbal remedies that they gave the women when they needed to deal with pain. Okay, any type of problems that occur, they had the knowledge and they had the technology and they had the resources to address it. Now, people have been around for millions of years and people have been given birth for millions of years. So really, modern hospitals just came along, all right? But we've had midwives and dolas and priestess and healers. They've been around for millions of years, since the beginning of civilization. So please don't judge so-called primitive uh, uh, indigenous culture because they're not primitive in the sense where they didn't have the knowledge or technology to address any type of complications that may have occurred. Now let's go ahead and talk about what happened after the birth of the baby. What happened after the birth of the baby? Now in indigenous cultures, obviously the baby wasn't just wrapped up and taken away somewhere else. The baby was placed on the mother's belly to feel the warmth of her body. She still, or he's still connected by the biblical cord, placed on the mother's belly, placed on the mother's chest. The baby would find the nipple sometime and start to suckle. The mother and the baby would bond and connect. Nobody was rushing the baby off to, to go somewhere else. The baby was still connected to the mother. That right there is very important. In indigenous culture, they understood the importance of keeping the baby with the mother immediately after delivery. They could not separate the mother and the baby. The baby had to be connected to the mother and make that connection, thorough connection, not that few minute connection, but for a long time, leave that baby on the mother and let them snuggle together and reacquaint with each other because the mother was pregnant, the baby was inside the womb, inside of her, now the baby's out. The mother has to bond and connect. Very, very important. That, that takes place over a period of time. That time period is very sensitive. So some people could say, take the baby away and the baby has plenty of time to bond with the mother later. No. They need to bond immediately. And indigenous cultures recognize that and they allow that process to take place because that was very necessary for the wellness of the mother and the baby. For the connection, for the attachment to take place, for the process of healing to take place for the mother. Because once that baby starts suckling on her breast, a lot of things start happening in that mother's body to start the healing process for her. All right, now let's talk about what happens during the, per, the postpartum period in indigenous cultures. Now, we're talking about some indigenous cultures. Now, this didn't happen in all indigenous cultures. They all have their own version of what happens, right? This is just a generalized information. Some of these things happen in a lot of indigenous cultures, but not all, okay? Now, engagement in postpartum rituals to heal realign and rebalance the woman's reproductive organs, right? They did that. The dola, the midwife did that to minimize complications after labor. Okay. They was trying to avoid infections, excessive bleeding, hemorrhage, blood clots, strokes, high blood pressure, any type of cardiovascular disease. They were aware of these things 
even though they were indigenous cultures back in the days, thousands of years ago, they were aware of the complications that women can get. So they established different type of postpartum rituals to heal and realign and rebalance the woman's reproductive organs. They massage the uterus to help that placenta come out. It's a lot of things that they did. I don't have to go into the details of it, but they knew exactly what was necessary in order to make sure that the mother was fully starting to recover immediately after the delivery of her baby. Now they had different herbal remedies and tonics to detoxify the woman's body, revitalize and rejuvenate her in order to replenish the energy that she lost. You know, delivering a child is very intensive. It's a lot of work. I have five children myself, so I understand. I understand because my experience each time was totally different. It was a beautiful spiritual experience that I will never forget. One of the happiest times of my life, being pregnant and delivering my babies. Now, at the same time, I realized it took a lot of energy. Literally, a woman is going into battle. All right, she has to physically be fit to be able to push. And some women, the pushing stage can be very difficult to push that baby out. Some women can do very good, but when it comes to the pushing, they're not physically strong enough for them to push these little babies out. And sometimes they can suffer for a couple hours, nine hours, 10 hours. And also the pain, you know, experiencing that level of pain can also deplete you of your energy because you're suffering. Now, obviously not all women suffer during childbirth. Majority of women may suffer, but you do have some women who have no pain at all doing their deliveries, right? But I know that I suffered. I had a lot of pain. So all that energy that you use up, there are special remedies, herbal remedies that the indigenous women use in order to be able to gain that energy back. Now, those herbal remedies also were immunity boosters. Right? because they wanted to make sure that that woman's immune system was strong enough to fight whatever infection that she may encounter. Okay, And it was also for uh, lactation stimulation. Right? They were also giving the women herbal remedies and tonics to help with the milk production. They knew what they were doing. Okay, Now, herbal healing warm oil massages all right now I love my massages after I had my babies the massages were great it helped with the circulation and the alignment of the muscles and the joints everything that's been stretched out of place that 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 massage will put everything back especially the uterus and other sexual organs everything is put back Okay, you have the midwives, the dolas, they know how to give you that special massage after you have a baby. That massage is just, oh my God, it's amazing. Everyone should get one of those massages after giving birth. It really helps relax your body and increase circulation and it's, it makes you feel so much more comfortable and relaxed. Because remember, now having a baby, you're using all your muscles. Your muscles are tense. And sometimes you can overwork your muscles. You may even pull a muscle trying to strain. All right. But the herbal massages with the warm oils really help put everything back into place. 
Another thing that they did was they wrap the mother's abdomen to keep the belly warm and to support the urine, not urine, uterus healing, all right? So mother's abdomen is wrapped up to keep the belly warm and to support uterine healing. The uterus needs to heal. Now remember now, the uterus is small and it has to stretch to accommodate a baby. Maybe a six pound, seven pound, eight pound, nine pound, 10 pound baby. So that uterus has to shrink back. And so indigenous women knew exactly what to do in order for them to facilitate that healing process of the uterus, to support the uterus, those muscles, support them so they can heal back properly. Now, proper nutrition is very important. After you don't use all that energy pushing and having a baby, you definitely get weak. You know, you're hungry, you're tired. Some women spend a whole day or two days not eating. They can't eat because they don't have an appetite. And so after the birth of their babies, they are famished. They are starving, okay? So the midwives, the healers, the dolas, they made sure that they gave the women proper nutritionist food to restore the nutrients and to enrich the breast milk. It consists of a lot of hot food, hot herbal teas and hot soups, okay? So the teas are basically medicine. That's what the teas are. They're medicine. Now, mothers were kept warm at all times, even encouraged to sweat. They would put certain ointments on their skins. They would wrap them up so they can sweat. That sweat would help eliminate the toxins from their bodies. You know, it would also help with circulation, right? Now, they were bathed with hot herbal water after birth to stimulate healing relaxation, and to promote good sleep. Of course, the baths will also get rid of the toxins that was in the blood as well. So yeah, the bath is amazing. Get a nice hot bath. Afterwards, get a nice hot oil massage. Ladies, it's heaven. Every woman should have that after the birth of their child. It's amazing. That bath, sit in that hot, hot bath. What they do is that they put different herbs, different plants, in the pot and they boil it and then they put it in the tub and you soak in it. You soak in it, right? And they also do certain tonics to basically clean you out. You have to just drink it and may not be something that tastes good, but it's definitely good for your body. It cleans you out. Sometimes you you have diarrhea or sometimes you may throw, sometimes you may throw it up but somehow it's coming out and that's part of the cleaning. Usually it makes you have diarrhea, okay? It doesn't normally make you throw up, but some people may throw up because it tastes bad, right? It all depends on your culture. It all depends on where you live and what herbs are being used. Another thing they do is that placenta is preserved and kept near the mother, is buried in a special ceremony. It's believed that the placenta holds protective spiritual powers to protect the mother from infection and illness, right? So they, different tribes and different cultures, they do different things with the placenta. They do different things. Some people plant the placenta and put a tree there, seeds to let a plant or a tree grow in that spot. And the plant grows with the child. Okay. Now the family gets involved in the recovery process during the postpartum period, especially the women. 
the mothers, the grandmothers, the aunties, and the mother-in-laws. They cook, clean, wash, and take good care of the woman. Mother is not allowed to engage in any household chores or duties. She just had a baby. So she is special. She just delivered a precious soul into the world. And indigenous cultures, they recognize how important that job is. They recognize how important that job is to bring another soul into the world, to bring life into the world. I mean, that's a lot of work. So in indigenous cultures, these women understood that and they took care of each other. All the women came together to make sure that that mother was well taken care of. And in some cultures, she is quarantined with her baby for 21 days to 30 days while her female relatives take good care of her. They take care of all her needs, all right? Some women, it's traditional for them to return to their parents' house for two or three months to be taken care of by their mothers and other female relatives, all right? Now, as we can see, the traditional practice of providing personalized, collective, and extensive postpartum care contributed to the survival rate of women and prevented certain diseases to include depression, anxiety, and medical complications. All right, we can see, I mean, that is a beautiful experience. I'm not saying that everything was perfect during indigenous uh, times when women were delivering their babies, you know, the dolas and the midwives, the healers, the priests. I'm not saying everything was perfect, but women did a great job because they understood what was happening in the process because a lot of those women were mothers themselves. They went through the birthing process. They were pregnant. They delivered babies. All right. They had to recover. So they understand the whole process. All right. So when women provide care for women, it is definitely a beautiful experience because they understand. They provide emotional support. They provide guidance. They provide encouragement. All right. And they bring their resources and their knowledge to be able to help that woman have a complete recovery. Now, Let's fast forward, okay? Let's return back to modern westernized society. Now, this, we just talk about indigenous cultures in ancient times. Now, we still have some cultures that are practicing these things. Some of them are. It's not completely obsolete, you know? It's not completely dead. Now, there's different versions of these practices. They're not entirely fully intact. Some people are practicing it partially, but it's not done the way that it used to be done, right? So let's get back to modern westernized society. Now let's look at the difference, okay? Now I'm not judging western society. I'm not condoning it, saying that it's the best in the world, and I'm not condemning it, saying that it's the worst in the world. I'm just stating the facts. This is the way that it is. And obviously the way that it is, it's not necessarily the best thing that women can go through, right? I mean, it's not necessarily the best thing that women go through. It's, it's a lot of problems in Western society. Now, again, Western society is generalized. I mean, it varies from one Western country to the next, right? They are not the same, but we're talking about Westernized meaning is more patriarchal. It's white male dominated. And that culture brings a lot of misogynistic, sexist uh, kind of practices that that's not really in the best interest of women. 
Okay, let's briefly look at the westernized version of the pregnancy, the birth, and the postpartum era. Now, women are admitted to a hospital setting. Now, I'm not condoning, I'm not condemning a hospital setting, you know, but the hospital setting is not necessarily conducive to bring a baby into the world. Okay, we're talking about a cold, technical machine everywhere. I mean, it's, it's isolated from family and friends. It's, it's just not a pretty place to be, right? I mean, it's where sick people go. A hospital is where sick people go. You have a problem, a medical problem. Now, pregnancy is not a medical problem. The birth of a child is not a medical problem, right? So why should a woman have a child in the hospital? Okay, now, now we do have birthing centers or maternal centers now where women are going to to have their babies. Now that's better, all right? It's better, they don't have to interact with other people who are actually physically sick, who do have infections and who are contagious, you know, who have all kinds of other problems. Now, women shouldn't be going to the hospital to have babies. Now that is the first error, you know, it's the first mistake, you know, in a male-dominated society that they make is to put women in the hospital to have babies with other people who are sick. Having a baby is nothing sick about that. Now, if a woman is having a complicated pregnancy, she's at high risk and she may need surgical intervention or she may need some type of medical assistance, they still can have a separate facility for only women. Only women who are having complications who need assistance, all right? And they can make that room as cozy and comfortable and as uh, uh, home-like as much as possible, okay? Women can bring their personal items and their pictures and their, you know, favorite uh, teddy bears and cards and flowers and just make the room look as homey as possible. But unfortunately... Right now, that's not the case. The majority of women have their babies in a hospital, not in a maternal center, okay? And that within itself creates a problem. It creates a lot of anxiety in women. A lot of time women are isolated. They don't have the support of their families and friends, okay? Sometimes, you know, they don't even really know the doctor that well. They don't know the, the, the person who's gonna deliver the baby. It may not be the doctor that they've been seeing for the past nine months. It could be a totally different person. Right, and because of that, the woman may not be really comfortable. Right, she has a, a lot of anxiety going on, it's a lot of uncertainty going on being in a hospital setting with a medical staff. Now, if a medical staff is necessary because the woman is having complications, we understand that, right? But it's a whole different dynamics when you're dealing with a, with a mother who's having a child versus dealing with a sick person. It's a whole different mindset. But women are being treated like they're sick and they're not. Having a baby is not a sickness. Now let's fast forward. The child is delivered naturally or by a C-section. Mother may hold the child for a few seconds. Okay, they take the baby away all right, immediately to be clean, medicated for STD prevention, get tested and get tagged. Now this may take 10, 15 minutes before they even bring this child back. The child is returned to the mother wrapped in cloths or blanket. There's no physical contact with the mother, skin to skin, okay? 
skin to skin. The child is removed again after the mother holds the baby maybe for a few minutes. The mother don't get a chance to bond and attach and connect to her child. The child doesn't get a chance to acclimate himself or herself to the mom, being an outside world. All right. Now, another thing that they do in Western medicine is that they hit the baby for the baby to cry, to get the lungs to start working. Okay. Now, can you imagine a child coming into the world and they are getting hit? They're trying to force them to cry. Now, I'm sure there's a medical reason why they're doing that. But at the same time, I'm sure there's another way that can be done. The baby doesn't have to be hit. The baby doesn't have to be hit. Now, poor baby, the baby's coming into a cold room with total strangers. The baby is being poked, medicated. Bathe immediately. Now that must be very traumatic for the baby. It must be very traumatic to go to this experience. Most people don't really think about what the child goes through after birth. But we'll go ahead on and talk about that some other time. Let's go ahead on and continue our conversation about the mother. Now the mother is discharged from the hospital to return to her home. Now, if she's lucky, her family and support system will be there to provide love, care, and support. If she's not so lucky, her husband or boyfriend may be the only caregiver, but he may not be available all the time, but only when he's home. Some fathers can take paternity leave, but not all jobs offer it. The mother is left alone without any help or support to take care of a baby. The mother is not sleeping not eating properly, she's stressed out, she has anxiety, she's nervous, she's overwhelmed, she's crying, and she's depressed. She has no one to ask for help. She's ignored, dismissed, overlooked, as everyone focuses on the baby. She's focused on the baby as she ignores her own needs. Now, we can clearly see how most women can experience post depression. Now we're not blaming the mothers. It's not their fault. It's nothing that they're doing or they're not doing that's causing them to have postpartum depression intentionally. They're not doing anything intentionally. They're not bad people. They're not incompetent. They're not stupid. They're not dumb. It's just that there are certain things that may happen to them that puts them at risk for postpartum depression, okay? Now, now postpartum mood disorders, there are several, okay? We always hear of postpartum depression thinking that's just the only one, but there's other types of mood disorders besides the postpartum depression. So let's just go ahead on and talk about the postpartum blues. Now, before women get postpartum depression, there's something that happens before that time. They get the postpartum blues. Now, what is that? Let's find out. The birth of a child can trigger some emotional reactions, behavior changes, and mental problems in the mother. 
The baby blues may be a normal response to hormonal levels, physical adjustment, environmental stressors, or circumstantial conditions. Most women will experience temporary baby blues as they go through the early stages of caring for their newborn babies. Eventually, the baby blues will disappear and they will return back to their normal routine. Now, this may last a few days to two weeks. It may last longer for some women depending on their personal situation. Now, let's look at some of the symptoms of the baby blues, right? Now, this is typical. Most women will experience this, all right? This is not a mental health problem. The postpartum blues is not a mental health problem, okay? It's something that most women go through. It's temporary. It's something that is normal for them to adjust to being a new mom or just being in this situation temporarily. Now, what are the symptoms of the baby blues or the postpartum blues? Trouble sleeping. Most mothers will have problems sleeping because the baby's schedule. So this is a normal occurrence. Most women, after they had a baby, it'd be very difficult for them to sleep. Some women during the last trimester, when they was pregnant, the first couple, the last couple months of their pregnancy, they weren't able to sleep anyway. All right. Now feeling overwhelmed. It's a lot of work to be a new mother. You know, taking care of a child. It's a lot of work. So feeling overwhelmed, having to make the adjustment with your schedule, with your time, you know, trying to make sure that you're taking care of everything. Now, especially if you have other children in the house, especially if you have no help. So you have to do everything. You have to cook, you have to clean, you have to take a bath and you have to do the house chores. You have to wash and you have to take care of new baby. So definitely you're going to feel overwhelmed. That's a natural thing. Sadness, crying, irritability, right? If you have no support system, you by yourself, you don't have the help, mm, you feel overwhelmed, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, yeah, you can start feeling irritable, sadness, or you can start to cry because that's your way of releasing all this tension and all the stress that you're going through. Mood swings, okay, you may have anxiety. Scared, you're nervous, you may not know what to do, especially if that's your first child. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know what to do and how to do it. You have no idea. You know, you may have appetite problems. Maybe you're not able to eat, you don't have an appetite, or maybe you're eating too much. Okay, reduce concentration. Okay, maybe you have low libido, you have no sex drive at all. Now, it's kind of hard to think about having sex for the first six weeks because you're not supposed to. You're not supposed, to have, not supposed to be having sex the first six weeks after postpartum because your body has to heal itself. The uterus has to go back to this original size. Vagina has to heal if there was any cuts or lacerations in it. I mean, everything has to go back to normal. Unfortunately, some people don't take the time to allow their bodies to heal. Some women are pressured to have sex by their husbands or boyfriends because they've been waiting a long time and they are not patient or tolerant or understanding, but that is unfortunate that a lot of women are forced or coerced into having sex before they're ready. Now, severe fat fatigue, of course, you're going to be tired. You know, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're overwhelmed, you're sad, you're irritable, you have mood swings, you're going to be tired. Changes in self-care routine. Now, you may not want to brush your teeth. You may not take a bath. You may not have time to eat properly or exercise or, you know, do your self-care routine because everything is off. All 
All right. Now, of course, this will cause you to experience some sadness. Okay. You have social changes. You know, you're not able to go out with your friends to interact. You're not able to engage in the regular social activities. Now, you may also have poor self-image. You know, you feel unattractive. You feel ugly. You feel fat. You know, some women's whole body is distorted. You know, their face change, their nose get bigger or wider, their lips get bigger. Nothing wrong with big nose or big lip, but that's not natural for you. You know, it could kind of look distorted, you know? So a lot of women start feeling very unattractive after the postpartum period. You know, they're not themselves yet. They're not pregnant and they're not back to themselves yet. You know, you have that six week period, you know, your body has to adjust to everything. So yes, you can have postpartum blues during this time. This is natural. This is natural. This is a natural occurrence. So it's not really a serious problem because we do have to adjust and adapt. Some women may still have pain, you know, from the C-section. They may have pain if they had some type of lacerations in the vagina, they had to sew them up. You know, some people develop hemorrhoids or some people develop other problems while they were pregnant that those things continue after the baby during the postpartum period. So, yes, those six weeks can be very difficult and hard for a lot of women. So that's why it's very necessary for them to get support and to get help. If not, it can be very, very hard. Now, if they don't really get the help that they need, when they have postpartum blues, you know what I'm saying? Help, meaning that whatever it takes to make things better for them, whatever it takes, you know? Now, if, if they don't get the help that they need or they're not able to adjust to that postpartum period in a healthy way, they don't develop healthy coping skills, they can easily start getting postpartum depression. Now, you go from the blues to depression. Now, this is a more severe case of postpartum blues. It's more severe. It's more intense and lasts longer. It may be confused with the the postpartum blues because there are similar symptoms. It's a form of depression that specifically occurs after delivery of a child or during pregnancy. It is reported that about one out of seven mothers will experience postpartum depression. All right? One out of seven, I'm sorry, one out of, yeah, one out of seven women will experience postpartum depression. Now, these are some of the symptoms of postpartum depression. We have fear of not being a good mother. Some women are overwhelmed with the fear that they're not going to be a good mother. Excessive crying and sadness for no apparent reason. Now, during the postpartum blues, you may cry because you're overwhelmed. You cry because everything seems to be out of control. You seem like you can't get it together. There's a reason for you to cry. But when you enter postpartum depression, now, that usually happens after the postpartum period. That could be from the time you have the baby up until six months, even up to a year. You could could still experience postpartum depression, right? Now... If it's been happening for a while, you had the postpartum blues and it's getting worse and it's changing into something more severe, now it's postpartum depression, obviously you've been going through it for a while. 
This is not something that's just happened. This is something that's been happening, maybe a couple weeks. All right. Now, being uninterested in your baby or difficulty bonding with your baby. That is one of the main signs that you're experiencing postpartum depression because you're not interested in your baby or you have a difficult time bonding with your baby. Now, most mothers will bond with their babies and they're very interested in taking care of their babies, providing for them, nurturing them, loving them. If you feel that you're not interested, that's a warning sign. That's a symptom that you may be experiencing postpartum depression. Feeling of worthlessness, hopelessness, and helplessness. Thoughts of harming yourself or the baby. Thoughts of death or suicide. Reduced interest in pleasure and activities you used to enjoy. Inability to sleep, insomnia, or sleeping excessively. Severe anxiety and panic attacks. Unable to concentrate or make decisions. Loss of appetite or eating too much. Feeling ashamed, guilt, or inadequacy. You may even develop obsessive-compulsive disorder with the baby's health. You have irrational fears about the baby or intrusive thoughts about the baby. You're thinking about hurting the baby or you think about the baby dying or the baby getting hurt. Yes, you know, when you start doing all these things and you start thinking or feeling some of these things, you definitely need to seek immediate help because you have postpartum depression. Postpartum depression. All right. Now, fathers, they call it paternal postpartum depression. Postpartum depression may also happen to new fathers. They may experience similar postpartum blues or depression just like new mothers. They may feel the sadness, the fatigue, the overwhelmed, anxiety, changes in eating and sleeping patterns. Now, fathers who experience other situations may be more vulnerable to having the baby blues, such as if they have a history of depression or other mental health problems, they have relationship problems, financial difficulties, or lack of support system, right? Fathers who experience some of these things will be at a greater risk of developing the paternal postpartum depression. Now, the postpartum depression can last long if it goes untreated. You're not getting the help that you need. Things are not changing. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're feeling isolated. And it can change from postpartum blues to postpartum depression to postpartum anxiety disorder. Now, what is postpartum anxiety disorder? Postpartum anxiety usually happens or occurs with postpartum depression. It can happen anytime within the first year after delivery of a child. Now, what are the symptoms of postpartum anxiety disorder? Episodes of panic attacks or hyperventilation. Trembling, shaking, heart palpitation, racing heart, chest pain, tingling in arms or legs, sweating, insomnia, sleep depth, disruption, feelings of dread, excessive or constant worrying, racing thoughts, irritability and tension, poor concentration, on edge most of the time, you're anxious, you're nervous, nausea or vomiting, fatigue, dizziness, shortness of breath, sensation that you are choking or unable to breathe, intense fear of death, all right? These are the symptoms of postpartum anxiety disorder. All right. Now again, 
postpartum anxiety disorder usually occurs with postpartum depression. Now, let's go into something that is extremely serious and it can be life-threatening. Now, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety disorder, if it's not treated, okay, if it's not treated, some people can develop postpartum psychosis. This is a psychiatric illness. It's not just the blues or sadness. It's not normal to have postpartum psychosis. Now, postpartum psychosis is not a common mental condition, but it can happen to some mothers within the first week after giving birth, right? So you don't have to have postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety disorder in order for you to have postpartum psychosis. This is something that can happen all by itself within the first week of giving birth, right? What are the symptoms of postpartum psychosis? Restlessness, sleep disturbances, insomnia, being paranoid, hallucinations and delusions, confusion and disorientation, attempts to harm yourself or your baby, obsessive irrational thoughts about your baby, excessive energy and agitation, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, meaning that you want to kill the baby. The mother wants to kill the baby. Now, at any time you feel like hurting yourself or your child, immediately seek help from family, doctors, or call 911 if it's an emergency. You may have to go to crisis, to a mental health crisis center to get immediate assistance because postpartum psychosis is a psychiatric illness. It's not just a psychological problem or an emotional problem. It is a psychiatric illness. Now, again, usually this happens within the first week after giving birth, but it can happen at any time. Anytime during the postpartum time, postpartum era or period, you can develop postpartum psychosis. Okay, but normally it happens within the first week after giving birth. So this is very serious. This is very, very serious. So let's do a quick recap about postpartum mood disorders. All right. So we have postpartum blues. Okay, postpartum blues. It's just a normal, natural emotional state that women go through. They go through that because they have to adjust to a newborn child. Physically, their body has to recover from the pregnancy. They're going through some changes physically. They're going through some changes mentally, emotionally, and they're going through changes socially. Sometimes they go through changes within the relationship. The relationship has to adjust to accommodate a new baby. Everything changes when a woman has a baby, when a couple has a baby. Everything changes. Individuals change. The dynamics in the relationship change. Family structures change. You know, you have social life change. You have financial change. You have a lot of changes taking place during that time. So, yes, you know, people can feel sad. People can get overwhelmed. People can be just, oh, you know, they just can't adjust as fast as they want to. Right? Sometimes people have unrealistic expectations. 
they weren't prepared to have a baby. All right. They thought that having a baby was going to be easy. They thought that it was going to be a piece of cake. They thought that it was going to look like, you know, what it looks like in the movies. It's going to be what they read in the magazines or what they, you know, saw in the documentary. No, having a baby is a unique experience. You know, it varies from person to person and it affects, you know, the family in a different way. It affects the relationship with your mate in a different way. You know, what affects you this way may not affect another person in the same way. All right. So all these changes can definitely cause people to have postpartum blues. All right. Now, some people, they don't ever get over the blues. You know, they go into postpartum depression in which it is a more severe case of the postpartum blues. You know, the symptom starts to get worse. It starts to intensify, become severe. All right. They start having fears, excessive crying, and, you know, they're not interested in their baby or they have a difficult time bonding. Now, that is the difference between postpartum blues and postpartum depression. Big difference. Right. Now, some people who have postpartum depression at the same time, they may have postpartum anxiety disorder. We're just doing a quick review postpartum anxiety disorder. Now that right there is a whole nother level. Okay. Along with the postpartum depression, you have other symptoms. Okay. You have panic attacks. You physically start feeling some symptoms, chest pains, heart palpitation, racing hearts, in addition to all the stuff that you were going through, through the postpartum depression. So you can have a real, real, real bad. It could be a very difficult time. Now, some people can get real bad and get postpartum psychosis. Again, this usually happens within the first week, but it can happen at any time after the postpartum period. It, it's rare, it's not a common condition, but it happens, all right? This, you need psychiatric intervention, all right? Now, women who don't have support systems to help them deal with that, women who are naive or they're ignorant of this topic, they don't understand postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety disorder, postpartum psychosis. They have no idea what these things mean. They're not educated. So they don't know what the symptoms are. They don't know what to look for. So you do have millions of women around the world who are suffering from postpartum mood disorder, right? From the blues to depression, to anxiety, to psychosis. They're suffering, right? They're going through a lot of difficulties and they cannot, they cannot get over it on their own. They need help. They need assistance. They need programs. They need people to educate them, people to be there to help. And I say people, meaning that the people in their lives, their loved ones, their families, their friends, you know, they have to tap into their community resources to get some help. If not, they can really, really suffer. This is not something that is just in the mind. It's not something that that's a made up sickness. This is real. It's a lot of emotional and mental changes and behavioral changes that take place with postpartum mood disorder. Now we're going to go ahead on and continue in part two. We're going to go ahead on and talk about the causes and treatment for postpartum depression. Thank you.